Well, happy New Year 2021, Morningstar family. Uh, next week, as Pastor Mike said, we'll be back in person uh, at both of our campuses at 10 a.m. We'll be starting a brand new sermon series going along with our theme for 2020, which is Stand Strong. And so we're excited to be back. I'm excited, though, to be able to be here with you online today uh, and hopefully to challenge you and encourage you uh, as we bring and begin this brand new year. As Pastor Mike said earlier, man, 2020 has been a, it's been quite the year. I, I think that that is an appropriate way of explaining 2000. It's been, it's been quite a year. For, for many of us, maybe 2020 was, was one of the strangest, most difficult, maybe challenging, uh, maybe even painful years that you've experienced your entire life. Uh, how many of you at home would say that you're not even sad at all that 2020 has come to an end? A anybody, like you would just say, you were ready for it. You were like, 2020 can go. Don't let the door hit it on the way out. I don't care at all. I'm ready for a new year. Go ahead and do me a favor. If you're watching online with us right now, uh, I, I want you to do something. Just with one word or maybe an emoji or a picture, just post something on our timeline right now, just kind of explaining in one word or one picture what your year was like so we can kind of get a glimpse into your 2020. For, for some of you, again, 2020 was a extremely difficult and crazy year. It was just a nonsense, nonstop, chaotic type of year. For some of you, though, maybe 2020 was a good year. I mean, maybe spiritually speaking, it was an absolute good year. Maybe all of the chaos and everything else made it very difficult, but it forced you to kind of reprioritize and reevaluate your life and, and kind of put things back in order. And so even though it was difficult, it was an actual pretty good year for you. R regardless of where you fall in looking at 2020, a new year is, is always that natural kind of built-in time for a fresh start. It's that natural time we have every single year for a, a fresh start. And so I want to encourage you as we begin this brand new year, 2021, I want to encourage you to make this a great year. Choose to, to be determined to make this the greatest year you've had. And I know that's cliche, but choose to make this a great year. And if you're going to do that, especially especially when it comes to your walk with the Lord, can I tell you that it's going to take you understanding and knowing how to put first things first. If you're going to make this a great year, you're going to have to begin to put first things first. And that's the title of our message this morning, first things first. I want to open with prayer, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, speak through me. And so would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity we have to go to your word. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have as we begin a new year to be encouraged and to be challenged, God. Lord, we are determined that 2021 is going to be a great year, a year of purpose, a year of growth, a year of growing closer to you and being who you've called us to be in ways that we've never experienced before. And so we are thankful that we have this opportunity today to look at your word, challenge us, speak to us, and change us by your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we talk about first things first, what we're really talking about is this idea of priorities, uh, people who, who live lives of significance, who live successful lives, are people who understand the importance of priorities. 
A man named E.M. Gray, he spent his life searching for the common denominator, the common factor of successful people. He wrote a report, an essay entitled, The Common Denominator of Success. And in his work, it revealed that successful people, the common characteristic in their life wasn't um, hard work, it wasn't having good luck, it wasn't just being good with, with people. All of those things were important, but they weren't the most important. The most important thing he found was the one factor that transcended all the rest was the ability and the habit of putting first things first. And he said this, he says, the successful person has the habit of doing the things failures don't like to do. And they don't like doing them either necessarily, but their disliking is subordinated to the strength of their purpose. In other words, they understand what's most important. They understand their purpose. They're focused on their purpose above everything else. And let me tell you, this idea of prioritizing, it, it implies to every area of your life. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you're gonna live for Jesus, you're going to seek after him this year, then you need to learn to put first things first in your walk with the Lord. And can I just be very clear with you? If you're gonna do that, God must be first. God has to be first. There's no other position that he can be in if you're going to put your priorities in order. In fact, in Matthew 6, he says it like this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you as well. In other words, he's saying, it's not just what you do, it's not just that you're doing it, it's the order with which you do it that is also vitally important. Seek first the kingdom, seek first his righteousness, and all the rest of the details will be taken care of. What I want you to understand is that when God is first in your life, when he is first in every area of your life, there is blessing and there is order. But when God is not first in your life, when God is not first in every area of your life, there will always be disorder and chaos. God must be first. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a visual illustration as we begin today. Maybe you've seen something like this before, but this is kind of a little bit of a visual of what it looks like to put first things first, put God first in our, our lives. And so I have these jars right here and these stones and sand. Um, these rocks represent different things in our lives. So these bigger rocks right here, obviously they represent the most important things in our life. They represent the, the weighty things in our life. They represent the things of the Lord. They represent obedience to God. They represent um, growing in our faith, spending time reading God's word, spending time um, praying, you know, obedience to God. These are the, the weighty, the things that take up the most effort, that take up the most time, but the absolute most important things in our lives. Then we have these next stones, these black rocks represent those, those next biggest responsibilities, those next biggest important things, things like your, your family, things like your job and career, right? Paying your, your bills, your, your hobbies, things like that. These are those next kind of big important stones. And then you have the same. The sand represents your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your interests, right? Like they're all part of your, your life. They're all part of the, the life which is represented by these vases. Now, the sad part for many of us when it comes to our lives is, is we take the sand, our thoughts, our feelings, and emotions, and we kind of start there. So we kind of fill our life with that first and foremost. Okay, so we got our, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. They're kind of the, 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 the backdrop of our life. They're the, the foundation with which we build our lives on. We live for our emotions. It's all about us. We maybe don't say that. 
We wouldn't say, man, but we live our lives like, man, this is just, it's just my world and you, are, you guys are just living in it, right? Like it's all about me, all about what I want, all about chasing after my priorities, my desires, my thoughts. Everything is about me. So we start there and then we start to build off of there. And so we start taking the other things like our family, you know, we put that in there. We need to spend time with our family. Okay, I got a, I got a job, you know, like I, I, gotta, I gotta work hard, so I gotta make money to pay my bills. I gotta, I gotta buy that new boat, so I'm gonna, you know, save there. I'm going to, I, I gotta go, I mean, I, I need my hobbies. I, I need to parent, that's important, so I'll, I'll kinda go there. Uh, so I got some of those things. Let me put a couple more in there. All right, so we're good there. Maybe one more, we'll put one more in there to represent just those everyday average tasks in life, okay? So we got those things, and we get up, we're pretty full now, our life is built on the foundation of our feelings, our emotions, we got those other things in here, and then we go, okay, well, I probably should spend some time with the Lord. That's probably important too. I probably need to make a habit of, of building my life on Christ, so I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll try to go to church every once in a while, kind of get that one in there. And then, um, you know, maybe I should read my Bible and pray every once in a while, so I try to squeeze that in there somewhere, we'll just kind of lay it on top a little bit, and you know, I probably should, you know, I probably should pray and stuff, I'll try to, I just, just don't have time, like I just don't have, my life is too full, you'll notice when you look at this jar, right, it's, it's completely full and overflowing, but it's also very compartmentalized, very segmented and, and segregated, right, like our feelings don't have really any impact on our, our family, our emotions, our job, they don't connect with God at all. It's just kind of segmented. We try to try to sprinkle a little bit of God on our problems, sprinkle a little bit of God in and hope that that will be good enough. But the reality is this is completely backwards and completely the opposite of what it means to put first things first and to build on the foundation of Christ. So what does it look like then when we build on the foundation of Christ? How does our life work when we do that? Well, what we do is we're determined, okay, I'm going to start with the, the big things. I'm going to build on the right foundation. Mike kind of shared a little bit about this, this verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. It has a good, strong foundation. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The foundation we build on is really, really important. The sand, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, that's not really stable. So he says, build on the bedrock, build on the right things. And so you take these, these important things and you kind of get them in there first. I'm going to make seeking after God my highest priority. I'm going to make obedience to God my highest priority. I'm going to make putting God first in every area of my life, my highest priority. And then we begin to build from there. Then we begin to build from those things. And so we say, okay, I'm going to next focus on my family, my spouse. But instead of just working on being a good husband or a good wife, I'm going to say, how can I love my spouse the way that Christ loves me? How can I lay my life down for my spouse the way that Christ laid down his life for me? How can I serve my spouse? How can I lead my kids? Instead of just raising kids, it, it becomes, how can I lead my kids toward a relationship with God? Because again, I'm building on the foundation of Christ. So how can I lead my kids and, and, and lead my family in a way that's going to show them how much Christ loves them, lead them into a relationship with Christ? When it comes to my job, my career, I, I no longer, it's not just a job anymore, it's not just a paycheck anymore. But now my mindset is, hey, 
I work as if working for the Lord. I work unto the Lord. My mindset is unto the Lord. It's not just the job, it's not just the paycheck, but everything I do is worship to the Lord. Everything I do, I do as a worship to the Lord. I'm gonna work hard, I'm not gonna be lazy, I'm gonna be a good employee because I represent Jesus in everything I do. And then when it comes to our finances and our hobbies and our interests, we have those, but we're building on the foundation of Christ. And so instead of looking at that as my time and my money and my stuff, I begin to understand that I'm a steward of what God has given me and everything is actually his and so my mindset becomes how can I use that for his kingdom his purposes his plans it's not longer about me and then my thoughts come into the picture my thoughts come in my mind my heart my interest my attention everything everything fits but it's all built now you'll notice when you look at this it all goes together it's all it's all together it's all built together with Christ as the foundation now my thoughts are changed No longer do I think the same way I've always thought because I've built on the foundation of Christ. I take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ because that's what God's word says to do. I don't live captive to my own thoughts anymore. I don't live captive to my own desires anymore because I've built every single part of my life on the foundation of Christ. And so it's no longer my desires, but it's Christ's desires because his Holy Spirit is living in me and he's given me a new heart. So no longer my desires and my thoughts. And then my actions change as well because my actions are being led by the Holy Spirit who is working in and through me. I've built my life on his foundation and my thoughts, my actions, my behaviors, everything lines up with that because I've built in the right order. Order matters. It's the difference between a life where, where God is impacting every element of our lives and a, God where we kinda, a life where we try to just kind of sprinkle a little God on the top throw God at our problems, hoping that he'll fix it, but we really haven't built on God. Nothing in our life is built on that foundation, and we wonder why there is chaos and disorder and frustration. Why? Because the order's off, and our priorities are not what they should be. All throughout the Old Testament, we have practical examples of what it looks like, specifically from the people of Israel, who were God's chosen people, of what it looks like when they got outside of of putting God first, when when their priorities got messed up, what would happen? These are people who who would absolutely say, God must be first. But often their actions and the way they live their lives show that that wasn't true. And here's what I want to remind you about priorities. Your priorities aren't what you say they are. They're not what you say they are. Your priorities are revealed by how you live. They're shown by your actions. And so you could say, hey, this is a priority in my life, but if the actions of your life, the way you live your life doesn't line up with that, it's really not a priority. It's just something you say you want to be a priority. And so the people of Israel knew that God should be first. They would say that God should be first, but oftentimes their actions would show that God was not first. And every time they they lived like that, when they lived not putting God first, they got out of the blessing of God, out from the covering of God and often into some very bad situations. One of these took place in 586 BC. The Babylonian empire led by King Nebuchadnezzar ransacks Jerusalem, burns down the city, burns down the temple, takes away the artifacts of the temple worship. Essentially, the temple was the identity of the people of God. It was their identity and the way they worshiped, kind of completely destroyed everything, took the people out of Jerusalem into exile as captives in Babylon. They were gone. They lost everything in that moment. 
This is during the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of where this stands in history. Now, sometime later, some years later, 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire was overtaken by the Persian Empire led by Cyrus. And when Cyrus uh, overtook, he issued a decree saying that all the people who were captives, the Jewish people who were captives, could go back to their land, could go back and rebuild, build their temple, and worship their God. And so 50,000 of the Jewish people went back. That's all, 50,000. There was many more in captivity. Those that maybe were in captivity got comfortable. They got content. They forgot that they were God's people called to worship their God. They just kind of fit in with the culture, got comfortable in Babylon. But there was 50,000, a remnant of people who went back to Jerusalem with the sole purpose of building the temple. And in 536 BC, they began the process. You can read about this in the book of Ezra if you're interested. They began the process of, of building the temple. They start with the altar, right? They, the, during the first year, they rebuilt build the altar so that they could reinstitute sacrifices and worship to God in that way. Then they laid the foundations of the temple in their second year. So the first two years, they're making good progress, they're getting work done, but then obstacles show up. There's opposition. The Samaritan people, their neighbors, uh, asked if they could help, offered to help in the work of building the temple. The Jewish people at the time refused. They said, we can't let you help. We need to do this ourselves. This is our job. This is why we came back. We need to do this. We need to worship our God. And so the, the Samaritans, in turn, they threatened the workers. They threatened the remnant of people. They threatened to hurt them, to stop them. They sent representatives back to Persia to lobby against the Jewish people, and it brought the work of the temple to a complete halt. For around 14 to 16 years, nothing was done at the temple at all. And the people kind of just got caught up in their routine. They didn't return to Babylon. They were there, but they just got caught up in their routine. They started going back to their jobs like farming, building houses, raising families, like kind of the normal ebb and flows of life. And they just kind of completely forgot about the temple. Even their leaders, Zerubbabel, who was the governor, and Joshua, who was the, the, the priest at the time, they kind of got used to the way things were. And then on to the scene comes Haggai. He was a prophet. Uh, he's going to be the person we're looking at this morning. He wrote a book in the Old Testament, one of the shortest books, only two chapters, but it was a powerful word about priorities. And so here we see around six, 14 to 16 years later, somewhere around that time, Haggai appears on the scene with one prevailing message. It's time to get back to work rebuilding the temple. It was a message of priority. You need to get back to putting first things First, right? You need to get back to the purpose of why you came. The temple was the center of their religious institution. It was their center of their worship. It represented the heart and soul of the, of the God of the people of Israel. All, through, all throughout God, he, 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 he was everywhere, but he specifically would meet with them. His presence would dwell in this temple. And so it was vital for them to build this temple so God's presence could dwell there. For the temple to lie in ruins was to completely neglect neglect the worship of God. It was a testimony of misplaced priorities, and it was an embarrassment to God and a blemish on his reputation. So Haggai's message was blunt. He pulled no punches. He wasted no words. He gives the people of God some practical steps, encouraging steps, challenging steps when it came to getting back to putting God first. And so I wanted to share some of these steps with you today. If you're going to put first things first, put God first this year, some steps that we can see in Haggai that I think you're going to need to put into practice as well. Number one, we need to quit making excuses. Quit making excuses. If we're going to put first things first, we need to stop making excuses for why our priorities are out of order. Benjamin Franklin, he said it like this. He says, I've never met a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. 
I've never met somebody who is good at making excuses who is actually good at anything else. We need to stop making excuses. And we see this very, very first in the very beginning of Haggai chapter one, verses one and two, it says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Listen to their excuse from the very beginning. It's just not the right time. It's just not the right time to build the temple. It's not the right time. I mean, it's a good idea, but the timing's off. I mean, they intended to do it, right? That's why they came back, to build the temple. They had every intention of doing the right thing, but it just wasn't the right time. The timing was not right. Like, I mean, can you, can you imagine their mindset? I'm all for building the temple. I think it's a great idea. I think we should definitely redo it. I'm all for doing it, but you know, like, I think God understands. I think God would want me to have a nice house as well, and I think God would want me to focus on my family, and you know, jobs are scarce, and money is, is really tight right now. Like, I think we should pray about it. We should pray about, re- come, come on, how many of you have ever used prayer as an excuse for inactivity? You don't need to pray about doing something that God has told you to do. You just need to do it. Like, you don't need to, to pray for clarity to be obedient to God if he's told you to do something. They knew what they were supposed to do. They're making excuses. It's just not that, that time. And, and the reality is it's easy to make excuses when our priorities are out of order. It's easier for us to come up with a rational justification for why we're not putting God first. Come on. Some of us, our excuses have excuses. We are so good at making excuses. We'll say things like this. Well, I just don't really have time for church right now. It's a busy season in my life. I work really a lot and you know, Sundays are my day. It's a really busy day. I need to rest, right? I have a, a big list of chores I need to get done around the house. I got to watch some football. Like, I, I just don't have, the timing is just not right. I know I should read the Bible and pray, but I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I just don't understand it. I don't understand. It's really confusing at times. There's a lot of these and thous and thuses, and I just can't follow along, and I'm, I'm not really good at reading. I just, I just, my attention span is not very good, and so I know I should spend time in God's Word, but I'm, I'm just, it's just not a good fit for me. You know, I know I should serve. I know I should be living my life for others. I know I should have a mindset where I, where I live my life to bring it, but honestly, I'm just, I just don't have time to make a commitment right now with that. I'm just really busy, and I just can't find an area to serve. I just don't know where my skills, like, I just, I just can't. We're really, really good at making excuses, but can I just encourage you with this? You always have time for the things you put first. You always have times for the things you choose to put first. If something is a priority for you, you choose to put it first because you always have time in your life for the things you choose to put first. So we need to quit making excuses. The second thing we see, the next step, is you need to check your priorities. Look at how you're living your life and ask yourself, Am I selfishly pursuing my own priorities and what I want, or am I selflessly pursuing God's path and his plan for my life? Evaluate. Take time to look at your life and and check your priorities. Look what Haggai says in the next couple verses. Verse 3 and 4, he says, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, lies in ruin? I mean, paneled houses could mean covered houses, houses with roofs on it. We don't really know what it means, but I'll tell you, it does mean this. It means that the houses were finished. They were in those finishing stages. They weren't a bunch of, you know, just the foundation with a bunch of weeds growing up around. They had taken time to take care of their own stuff. Now, I want you to understand, God is not saying his word here that you shouldn't have a house. 
that you shouldn't take care of your house, that you shouldn't prioritize having house and things like that. That's not what he is saying here. What he is saying here to the people is that they had neglected the one reason they had come there and had started chasing after their own priorities. They had neglected the very purpose that they came to build that temple and were set and satisfied with chasing after their own desires. He's saying it's wrong when we spend all of our money on selfish desires with no thought to how we can serve God. It's wrong when we use all of our possessions, all of our time, all the best that we have for ourselves with no thought on how we can use it to serve God. He says that's the problem because it shows that our priorities are in the wrong place. We have misplaced priorities and the reality is it's so easy to drift away from the things of God and, and onto the things that we want for ourselves, It's so easy. If you're not being intentional about, about asking every single day, evaluating and checking your priorities every single day and saying, God, am I living for myself or am I living for you? If you aren't practical about doing it and you are not intentional about doing it, it's so easy to kind of drift from the things of God to the things of ourself. It's so easy to drift from a, a God-focused life to a me-first life. Why? because it's the natural bent of our lives. The natural bent of our hearts is towards selfishness. And so we need to be intentional about checking our priorities, evaluating our lives, and making sure that we're living, chasing after the right priorities, putting first things first. The third thing we see is we need to examine the results. Look at your life, examine the results. Look at the fruit that your life is producing, the way that you're living your life. Right, that's what he goes on to say to do. Ask yourselves this question. Is my life producing the type of fruit that a life should be producing if it's living surrender to Jesus? Is my life producing the type of fruit that should be produced from a life that is living surrendered to Jesus? This is what he goes on to say in verses 5 through 11. Now the Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. Evaluate your ways. Listen, he says, you have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's never enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but you never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of Armies says this, think carefully about your ways. He looks at them and says, look, evaluate the fruit of your life. You're working hard. You're harvesting, you're, 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 you're planting a lot of seeds, but you're harvesting not very much. You eat and you drink, but you never have enough. You're never satisfied. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You, you put money into a bag, but it's burning a hole in your pocket. You never have enough money. Look at the fruit of your life. Evaluate your life. He goes on to say this. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and will be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, check this out. It says, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, because my house is still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. So on your account, because of your sins, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grains, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on people and animals and on all your hands produce. God allowed what was happening to them to happen to show them that his blessing was not on what they were doing to reveal to them the fruit of the lives that they were living was wrong. Look at the results of how you're living your life. Look at how you're living and understand that my blessing is not on you. I've allowed this to happen. I've caused the, there to be a drought. I've caused the, there to be ruin. I caused you to, to work in frustration because I want to draw you back. I want to draw you back 
into the right place. We need to examine our lives at times because the fruit of the lives that we're living will often show us if we're living for God or we're living for ourselves. And then we have a choice to make. The last step we're gonna see is we need to determine to put God first. Determined to put God first. When we examine the results of how we're living our lives, when we see the, the fruit of the priorities that we've put into place, we have a choice to make. Are we going to keep doing and living life the way that we're living? Are we going to keep chasing after our own priorities, our own desires, or are we going to repent and change course, reverse course? And we see what happens in verses 12 through 15. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. They reverenced the Lord. They were in awe of God. And they reversed course, turned back to God. It says, the Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. They changed course. They got back to work. They repented from the way they were living their lives, and they got back to putting God first. They got back to putting their priorities in order. And, and listen what happens. When they did that, what happens? The prophet said, the Lord declares, I am with you. When they got back to putting first things first, when they began to build their lives on the right foundation, when things were put back in order, the, the result of that was God was with them. God's blessing was on them, and kind of goes back to that verse in Matthew 6. If you seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, get the things in the right order in your life, then God's hand of blessing will be on you. Then he will take care of everything you need. But first things first, it matters. The priorities matter. The order matters. When we put first things first, we put our lives and build on the foundation of Christ. The byproduct of that life is that God's blessing is in our lives. His hand is over us and he will lead us and direct us. I am with you, declares the Lord. So with that in mind, as we close this morning, I want to quickly challenge you with four areas that I believe we can begin to put God first this year. If you're going to build on the foundation of Christ this year, if 2020 is going to be a year where your priorities are in order, where God is, is first, let me give you four practical areas that you can begin to put God first. The first one is this. The first of your day, I want to encourage you to seek God. First of your day, I want to encourage you and challenge you as we begin a, a new year to take time, set time apart, first few minutes of your day to set them apart to seek God before you get ready for work, before you check your emails, right, before you, you check Facebook or social media, before you, you watch some TV and the news, before you do any of that stuff. Get up, take some time to seek the Lord, focus your heart and your mind on him. Now, I know some of you are not morning people. I'm, I'm not a morning person either. I'll be honest with you. I, I go to bed late. I struggle to wake up. I'm one of those people, and maybe you're like this, you can understand. I'm one of those people who has like eight alarms set on their phone. If you're not that person, you're probably married to that person and they annoy you, right? Like I have eight alarms set on my phone and, and I know how to magically hit snooze on every single one of them. I've, I've developed the spiritual gift of being able to hit snooze without even looking at my phone. Like I can hit it in my sleep without looking. I know how to do it. It's hard for me to get up in the morning sometimes with, with four kids in the house and they're always up throughout the night. It's just, it's difficult at times, but I have to make the, the choice to stop making excuses and make a choice to set my day off on the right path. And so I'm telling you, I'm challenging myself with this one as well, but I want to encourage you 
to make the choice to, in the very beginning of your day, make a choice to build the habit of seeking God. All throughout Jesus' life on earth, one common spiritual discipline that we see in his life was that he did this all the time. He took time to start his day seeking God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. If Jesus, who was God, needed to take time away from the chaos of life, away from the, 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 the chaos of ministry at times, if he needed to take time to get away from it all, to seek his father, to spend time with his father, to start his day with his father, how much more important do you think it is for us to do the same thing? How much more vital is it for us to get in the habit of starting our day off right, of building from the very beginning of our day, building on the right foundation of Christ? And so I want to, again, just challenge you. Maybe this is going to be difficult for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something you already do. But I want to challenge you to make the habit of getting, you might have to get up a little bit earlier. You might have to set that alarm. You might have to set a 10th alarm with a different ringtone that will scare you out. I don't know what you have to do, right? But you got to do something to make sure that you get out of bed. It doesn't have to be an hour, maybe just 15 minutes of your day. If you need to, get up, make some coffee, right? Some of you can't function before coffee. Make some coffee first. Get alone with the Lord. Get away from all the chaos of your life and just spend your first few minutes of the day with God dedicating your day to the Lord, asking him to lead you and guide you, but giving him those first fruits of your day. The second area I want to challenge you, not only the first of your day to seek God, but the first of your week, I want to challenge you to worship. I want to challenge you to make attending church and worshiping together with other believers a vital part of your weekly rhythm. Here's a, a pretty shocking statistic that I heard. A, a survey was conducted of American churchgoers, people who claim to go to church, right? American people who claim that, that they're part of a church, they're involved in a church. 48% of everyone who calls themselves a church attender in America attends church on average less than once a month, which is a crazy statistic to me. And it shows, honestly, how messed up our priorities are when it comes to worshiping together. Now, we don't see the importance and the significance of worshiping together, spending time encouraging each other and building each other up together. It's a vital part. I want to encourage you and challenge you to not neglect it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says it like this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. Don't minimize the importance of encouraging each other and building each other up and being together. Now, I know it's weird right now. Like, I know that this is a weird season when it comes to, to church. And, and some people, we've made, you've made the decision that you, you don't want to be here in person for this season. Maybe there's pre-existing conditions or other things, and we're not mad at you for doing that. We're not telling you that you need to be here, but what I would encourage you in this season, if you've made that decision and that choice, I would encourage you to be consistent with logging on at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and engaging with the service. Don't go, well, I don't have to be there in person, so I'll just kind of catch up later. I'll watch the service later. I would encourage you, pretend like you're showing up in person. Get up, make some coffee, comb your hair, put on some clothes, brush your teeth, like pretend like you're going to be around other people. Get on at 10 o'clock, engage with people who are on at the same time and do the best you can to make this consistent and important in your life because it's vital that we don't give up on encouraging
encouraging each other, meeting with each other, being with each other. We have to understand the importance of what we do here. Maybe you, during this next season of Connect Groups, you need that connection, and so you, you choose to join a virtual Connect Group or an in-person Connect Group, or, or maybe you choose to lead one. We need each other. We cannot neglect the importance of meeting together. Make the choice, the commitment from the beginning of this year. Maybe other years you've been very inconsistent, right? I, I would come, but like it's snowboarding season. I would come, but this is soccer season. Like I would come, but I'm really, no, 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 no. Make the choice to prioritize the things of the Lord before everything else. Make the decision to prioritize worshiping together the first of your week. Set the tone for your family from the first of your week. Let them see that this is something we do. We serve the Lord together. We worship the Lord together. We encourage and we are encouraged by coming together. We need each other. We need each other. Third area I want to challenge you. First of your finances, put God first by tithing. I'm not going to talk a lot about this right now, but I just want to encourage you to put God first in the area of your life when it comes to your finances. This is one area of God's word where he says to test him. Test him and see if he won't bless you as you put him first. Now, I know it's difficult at times, especially when times are tough. It's difficult at times to, to trust God in this area of our lives. And for some of us, what we do is we pay all our bills, we do all our stuff, and then afterwards we kind of, okay, well, I have some left, so I'm gonna give to God now. Can I tell you, it's not really hard to trust God once everything is taken care of. It's not really trusting God when you take care of all of your own stuff first and then you put, put God first. That's not putting God first. I want to encourage you. We talk about the order mattering as well. I want to encourage you with the first of what you have. That's the idea of the tithe. That's bringing your first fruits, your first and your best. It belongs to God. In fact, I heard Robert Morris say it like this. He said, tithing isn't really giving. It's really returning. It's returning to God what's already his. Tithing shows that we trust God in every area of our lives, including our finances. It shows that we understand that nothing we have is really ours. We're not owners of anything. We are th simply stewards of what God has entrusted us with. And so I'm going to put him first in the area of my finances. Can I also encourage you by saying this? Tithing is not supposed to be the ceiling of our giving. It's really kind of supposed to be the floor. It's supposed to be the starting point, the launching point to a life of generosity. We talk all the time about one of our core values, that we want to be a church that is sacrificially generous. We don't want to, we don't want to stop at that time. We want to continue to, to give. And let me just encourage you and say this. We have an amazing church body, amazing church body full of people who are living out this core value that are sacrificially generous. Throughout this year, that was a very difficult year. We've been able to launch a second campus. We've been able to, to not lay anybody off. We've been able to continue to, to provide for all of our missionaries. We've been able to do things like one day to feed the world. We gave over $40,000 in one day to an organization to help people be fed all over the world. We've been able to live this out because you guys have continued to practice being sacrificially generous. And so if you already put God first in this area of your life, so I'm going to encourage you. Just keep doing it. Keep setting the tone. Keep living this way. If you haven't, though, I want to challenge you and encourage you to take a step of faith and begin to put God first. It's one area again where he says, test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of blessing in your life. So put him first in your finances. And then the last area, first of your year, I want to encourage you with prayer and fasting. From the first of your year, we're going to take time this week to pray and to fast. So what's fasting all about? And Pastor Mike talked a little bit about this in the video, but fasting is essentially giving up food or something else 
for a period of time in order to focus our thoughts and our attention on God. The purpose of, of fasting for us is just taking our eyes off of ourselves, our eyes off of our, our fleshly desires, which aren't necessarily bad desires, right? Like it's not bad to want to eat food, but taking our eyes off of our desires and focusing our attention on our God desires, right? Wanting more and more of him. It helps us gain a new perspective and a renewed a, 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 a reliance on God by taking our eyes off of the things of the world and focusing our eyes on him. Fasting is not about changing God. It's not about forcing God's hand. Fasting is about changing us. It's about aligning us with God. It's about understanding our need for God more than anything else. Take away everything else. Take away food. Take away everything else we have in our lives. As long as we have Jesus, we have everything we need. It's about refocusing, reprioritizing, taking time to connect with God. So what should you fast? What should you fast? Well, that's really up to you. I want to encourage you. Some people might fast food. You might decide to just skip a meal. I'm going to skip lunch every day. I'm going to take time, even if I'm at work, I'm going to take time during lunch and bring my Bible. I'm going to take some time to get alone during that time that I would be eating. And I'm going to focus my attention instead of focusing on my desire for food, my hunger, I'm going to hunger for the Lord. I'm going to take this time and I'm going to spend time in prayer. If I can't get alone at my workplace, I'll go out in my car, put on some worship music, read my Bible, and just spend time connecting with the Lord during that time. Maybe it's not just that meal. Maybe you decide to skip a couple meals. Maybe you try to fast completely from food. Maybe you try to fast from certain foods. You only, you know, drink water and, and eat, you know, vegetables and, and, and nuts and grains or something like that. I don't know, whatever it is, there's all different things that you can choose. Maybe you give up like sweets for, for the week. Maybe, maybe you fast coffee. That would be hard for a lot of us. I'm going to give up coffee for the week and my reliance on it. That's going to take an act of God. I will be reminded many times throughout the day on my need for Jesus because I drink a lot of coffee. Some of you are like, that's just too much. I'll fast all food except for coffee. Whatever you choose, there's no recipe necessary. Whatever you choose, understand that it's not a diet plan. It's taking time to refocus our desires and rearrange them to focus them on Jesus. Maybe for some of you, food's not an option. Medically speaking, it's just not something that, that, that you want to do. But maybe there's something else you could fast. Maybe it's social media. That would be a good one. Some of you, the first thing you do every single day, take your phone out, check social media. Maybe just take some time and, and delete that from your phone for, for a week and take time. Listen, you will come face to face with the reality that you spend way too much time on social media, way too much time. Every time you go to pick up your phone and go on that app, you'll be reminded, I need to talk about and focus on Jesus instead. I need to focus this, this attention on the things of the Lord. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's TV or, or, or playing a game or something like that. Whatever it is, whatever you choose, the point is that you take those things and you refocus the desire. You refocus the desire from the things of this world to the things of the Lord and you rely on him. Ultimately, man, as a church, we just want to challenge you to make the choice to put first things first this year to make the choice to put God first in your life this year. If you want this to be a year of great spiritual growth, a year of great spiritual blessing, then you need to learn to reprioritize and make God foundational. As we close with worship this morning, I just want us to take a minute to examine our lives at your house right now, wherever you're at. I just want you to, to just take a moment and think about your life. I wanna go back to these jars. Which of these jars better represents your life right now? If you think about the way you've lived your life, think about, just look back on 2020. Which one of these jars better represents the way that you lived your life last year? 
Was it a year where at, at the, the heart of what you did, everything was about yourself, your feelings, your emotions, your interests, your fears? Never really kind of interacted with these other areas. Very segmented, compartmentalized. Every once in a while, we try to sprinkle God, put a little God on the top, but it never really fits. And our life is chaos and out of order, and we wonder why things aren't the way that God's created or intended it to be. Because we built on the wrong foundation. The Bible says this sand, it's not a good foundation to build on. When the storms of life come, and they do come, your foundation will not last because you built on the wrong thing. Or is this what your life looks like? Can I, can I encourage you and challenge you with this? This isn't a, this isn't a, a one-time decision. This is a daily decision. Because I'll be honest with you, in my own life, there's days where my life looks a lot like this, and there's days when my life looks like this. And the days when my life looks like this, it's chaos. The days when my life looks like this, there's not a lot of good fruit that comes out of that. Like, I'm not a good husband on days when my life looks like this. I'm not a good dad on, on the days when my life looks like this. My life is, is chaotic and out of order on the days when my life looks like this. But on, on the days when my life looks like this, when I've built on the foundation of Christ, when I've submitted my life to him, when I've surrendered to him, when I'm walking in obedience to every area, I'm a better father, I'm a better husband, I'm better in every area of my, of my life, I'm better as a pastor, I'm better as a worker, my thoughts are better, my actions are better, every desire in my life is better when I build on the right foundation. So evaluate your life. Look at what you're building on. And listen, if you look at your life and your life looks a lot more like this, can I just encourage you and challenge you? Don't be defeated, but allow the the conviction of the Holy Spirit to draw you back in. Don't be condemned. Be convicted. Repent. Turn back to God and be determined that you're going to begin to build on the right foundation. Every single day, you're going to wake up with the determination, I'm going to start this day with Christ. I'm going to build on the foundation of Christ. Every thought, every feeling, every action, every relationship, I'm going to live surrendered and submitted to my Lord and Savior. And as I do that, I'm going to experience his blessing and his leading in my life because things in my life are in order. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will take care of the rest. Father, as we close in worship today, Lord, God, I pray that you would just challenge us and encourage us this year. God, that 2020 would be a year of blessing. 2020 would be a year of experiencing your presence in our lives. No matter what the circumstances look like, that 2021 would be a year where we experience your blessing, where we put first things first, where we prioritize the right thing. God, you will be first in our lives. You will be first in our church. You will be first in everything we do. And as we put you first, God, and as we rely on you and build our lives on the foundation that is found in you, God, we will experience your blessing. We will experience your presence and you will be with us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.